Welcome to the Wild and Free Podcast, Episode 38. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week we'll hear from modern Miss Mason herself, Leah Bowden, as well as our dear friend Cindy Rollins, the author of Mere Motherhood, plus a few special announcements. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. beautiful things about homeschooling is that we don't have to educate all of our kids the same way. Learning at home gives us the opportunity to tailor each child's education according to their unique personalities, gifts, challenges, and preferences. Not only does it go better for them, but it saves us the headache of trying to shoehorn one style of learning onto every child against their will. We don't have to line up our kids and teach them the same way. That's a classroom mentality. The reason we teach them at home is to give them the freedom and the flexibility to learn in their own way. The other day, I was talking with my dear friend, Leah Bowden, about this very thing, and I thought I'd share a part of our conversation with you here. consider Charlotte Mason's notion of children are born persons then some of that for me is respecting our children's personality and how they view the world and how they engage with the world and what that looks like so rather than us forcing a way of learning upon them you know we may have planned it all out beautifully and we've printed things out and laminated things over the summer Mm -hmm. Uh, the reality is are they engaging with it are they finding life in that are they you know are they finding their own connections and able to does it reach out into them Um, and I think that's really important that all our children do see the world quite differently they approach learning quite differently and that's what I love about that notion of children are born persons is that there's such a freedom is how we how we view them and therefore we learn how to view our children in a certain way which just frees up the outcomes often we think education is about these particular outcomes where actually it's different for every child and it's so liberating when you get a grasp of that I love it when they are free in their own element in their own way of learning they're just unstoppable themselves and so that's freeing for us why wouldn't we want them to learn in the way that's best for them it it not only helps them but it helps us too and we're not fighting the battles or thinking we're failures or wondering you know what's going to get through we're really focused on tuning into what their strengths are and I think if we approach education whereas you know one thing fits all it really doesn't I think that's when you become frustrated and where mothers get burnt out and families just you kind of 
lose your way whereas if we approach it like you just said what you know what does he need how is he um processing the world right now and what he's learning and i think that's beautiful is that you just find something that works for him the whole idea of one size doesn't fit all just reminds me of when I first started homeschooling. There were so many reasons I wanted to homeschool, and it was mainly focused just on my firstborn son. And now I look back and I think, wow, I had no idea how this journey was going to be so amazing for each of my children in their right. own individual ways. Because if I hadn't had my firstborn son, I would have wanted to do the same thing with my second for a different reason. And if it hadn't had either of them, I would have wanted to homeschool them for my third, but for completely different reasons and I'm just so grateful that the journey had already been in place so that we could just ease right into it and do what was best for each child. Oh childhood, where did you go? We sped up the process thinking that's how you'd grow? Gave up fort building and climbing trees to avoid muddy hands and skinned up knees? Enrolled you in things you were expected to do? Not stopping to realize it was for us more than you? Remind me, giving up daydreams was better for who? When did we quit dreaming to notice or care? Stop looking at stars or remember they're there? We put you on buses and shipped you away to preschools and programs and preceptors for pay? said the experts know better than us anyway. You were made for summers that go on forever, getting lost in good books and inclement weather, making up stories and writing new songs until long past your bedtime and the porch light comes on. No need to rush childhood. It goes by too fast. What you need is the time to make it all last. Belong out in nature, staring up at the sky, blowing dandelion puffs and watching them fly, turning clouds into shapes that you want them to be, fending off dragons if that's what you see. If only there was a way to be wild and free. We read the great books but ignore their wisdom, go our own way instead of trusting what's in them. Childhood is a treasure, a gift to behold. I'm sorry to say you've been traded and sold. Oh childhood, where did you go? Oh childhood, say it ain't so. We'll bring you back home if it's the last thing we do. We'll reclaim the wonder. That's my promise to you. We just announced our next Wild and Free conference in Frisco, Texas, this February 15th and 16th, and we would love to have you with us. These gatherings are designed to encourage you, help you build community, and equip you for this homeschooling journey. The discounted rate ends soon, so be sure to sign up at bewildandfree.org Frisco. Jennifer Pepito sat down with Cindy Rollins at our recent Wild and Free conference in Franklin, Tennessee, to talk about starting out with young children, the value of morning time, and thriving when you don't have a lot of resources. We're excited to share it with you now.
be really fun to talk a little bit about Charlotte Mason and Morning Time because your book, Mere Motherhood, spoke to me so deeply in so many ways about motherhood and about just the journey that it is. And it was also very inspiring in some of the Charlotte Mason principles like Morning Time and Living Books. So tell me just to start a little bit about how you started homeschooling, because I think it will encourage a lot of wild and free moms. Well, my son is, uh, my oldest son is 34 years old. It was like 1982. And James Dobson on Focus on the Family had a man named Raymond Moore on his broadcast. And during that time, apparently a whole bunch of people became homeschoolers at that moment in time. And, and we were one of the families. My husband came home from work and I said, guess what? And we did not have any children at this time. Um, I said, guess what? I found out what we're going to do with our children. We're going to homeschool them. And he was like, "Uh, no, we are not going to do that. That sounds completely strange and weird. But by the time we actually had real children, he was on board by that time. So it helped. I knew, I remembered that story from your book and I wanted to bring it up because I think sometimes moms start subscribing to Wild and Free or coming to the conferences when they have a three-year-old and they feel kind of almost guilty about it. But really preparing, educating yourself about something that's so important is a very wise and valid choice and not something to feel embarrassed or like you're too much of an eager beaver. Oh, not at all. I think that I, for years, before I had children, I was reading about homeschooling. And then the whole time that I had my little toddlers, I was reading about homeschooling. As a matter of fact, when my son was first born, I was so anxious to homeschooling that I started this teach your baby to read program with him where I was holding up flashcards in front of my six week old baby. I had just been waiting and waiting for someone to homeschool. And then finally, I just realized how silly I was. And we waited and, you know, we just started doing what Wild and Free does. We just started living the life together and homeschooling became something a little different at that point. But it's, it was a wonderful way to have a family and to build a life. But the other thing, what you were saying is I talked to a girl a few years ago that she only had a three-year-old and she started reading a very difficult book to herself. She was reading uh, Edmund Spencer's Fairy Queen and her little three-year-old said, what are you reading, mommy? And she just started reading it out loud. And he got very much involved in that book. And she ended up reading the whole thing. And he he was on edge waiting to hear. So it is a life. It's a life for ourselves. It's a life for our children. And very often what feeds our mind will feed our children's minds. Oh, I love that so much. You know, when you think about homeschooling, it's almost like being a master artist or being a master embroiderer. It's like you are having this opportunity to create a tapestry that has your personality and your husband's personality and takes into consideration your children's gifts. But we don't have to wait until they're six to read a certain book or wait until they're in fourth grade to teach about state history. We can get excited about learning ourselves and just transmit that excitement. Yeah, I always read up to my children because I found that when I, especially as I started having more children, that the little guys would get a lot out of what I was reading aloud to the older kids. But if I dumbed it down too much to the little kids, then the older kids had already covered that and it wasn't as interesting. But as long as I was reading up, everybody was getting fed something. So tell me a little bit about what you define a living book as, because there's a lot of great book lists out there. And I'll often Uh look at homeschool catalogs for book lists. But, you know, sometimes I hear someone recommend something and then I'll have one of my older kids read it, preview it for the younger kids. And they don't necessarily connect with the characters or aren't super impressed with the values. How do you judge a living book? That's a good question. Well, first of all, usually a living book is a narrative. It's not a lot of facts. It's not just a, a bunch 
bunch of boxes with information in it. It's not about the information. It's very much written in a narrative style, whether it's a nonfiction or fiction book. And then it has ideas that our minds can feed on. And if your mind is uninterested in the book, then possibly it's not a living book. Some books are. I get frustrated. I always fall for this internet thing where someone recommends a modern book. I just finished a book that was highly recommended by many, many people. It was an audio book and it was a modern book and I hated every minute of it. And I thought that book had a good story, but it was just not well written. And there were a lot of anachronisms where they were saying things in one century that nobody in that century would have said, but that really grated on my spirit. So I think that a living book is a book that we can open our hearts up to and it doesn't try to get us to close our hearts. Interesting. I know we're doing ancient history right now and I find that books for ancient history are very hard to find. Mm. You know, because people weren't there, I guess it's harder mm-hmm. for people to imagine, but they're too wordy or too too much dialogue. I think a book with too much dialogue is generally not a living book. That's a good yeah. way to look at it. I think you're right in some ways. Yeah, not enough description. Yeah. So tell me also, you have a lot of boys, like eight boys. Is yes, that correct? I have eight boys. Yes. Right. So how did you get them to sit still while you read aloud? I didn't. <laughs> No. Um, I read aloud. First of all, I read really good books. Second, we didn't have any interruption. We didn't have a TV. We didn't have internet. We didn't have all the things. There were no distractions in our home. So reading aloud time was like a TV show to them. It was really fun. In many ways, they loved it. But I did let them move around a lot while I was reading aloud. They didn't have to. They could build with Legos as long as they weren't fighting or arguing. Or they could draw. We did nature notebooks while I was reading aloud. They could use their hands. I didn't expect them to just sit with their hands in their lap. Even now, I teach a little boy, and if someone walks in the room while I'm teaching him, he very often might be standing on his head or rolling on the floor. Um, As long as he can give me a narration back when I'm done, I don't mind if he wiggles a little bit. Obviously, there's a level of chaos that you can't accept with boys. You know, they can't hit each other. They can't knock into each other. They need to keep their own space. Right. My rule is that they have to be able to actually tell me back what I Mm -hmm. read. (laughs) Right. I don't mind if they're playing or moving, but I want them to actually be listening to me read. It's interesting, too, what you said about distractions, because... I know it's harder for me to get my youngest child to listen to me read aloud than it was for me to get my older children. And part of that is that we had less access. You know, even if you're a family like us where we don't have television access, now there's so many wholesome things or good things or educational things on YouTube that are easier Mm -hmm. to access than sitting down and reading a book. And so our attention spans are diminished by too much reliance on easier modes of media. And you might want to work with your kids on that in this way. If they do get restless when you're reading aloud to them, maybe if they didn't think you were going to read aloud for an hour, you could hold their attention longer. So if you sat down with them for 10 minutes and read aloud, and they knew that that was going to be the end point, then they could give their full attention to it. Sometimes kids get very restless when it seems like mom is just taking over and it's going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. So sometimes just letting them see the boundaries that we're working within helps them to relax and not be distracted. I'm going to give you my full attention because you're going to read. I know exactly what you're going to read, and and you're not going to read more than that. This is why short lessons and reading several books is kind of helpful in this situation. Okay, I'm only going to read this for five minutes, but now maybe I'm going to read something else for five minutes and something else for five minutes. And now we've had 15 or 20 minutes, but it's a fresh attention for each book. A little variety. I know I've gone back and forth with that Charlotte Mason concept. A lot of the Charlotte Mason reading lists or Ambleside Online, things like that, have 
several books that you read a little bit of. And part of my rebel spirit is like, I if I'm enjoying a book that I'm reading out loud to my kids, I don't want to only read it for five minutes. It's not necessarily a rule. It's just an, a way of looking at it. No, it isn't a rule. And what happens is there might be three or four books that you just read a little bit in. But then if you get to the end of the time and you're going to read the best book, the one you all love, and they say, read one more chapter, and they will if their math is on the other end waiting for them, then that's a time to read more. And you, you know, I used to feel the same way about that list that, oh, I want to keep reading these books. I don't like this. I've changed a lot on that because I, that's how I read for my own self. I usually have about 10 books going. And then that means at any given moment, I will probably be in the mood for one of those books. So now I'm always reading because it's never like, oh, I don't feel like reading my book right now. Well, actually, that really relieves a lot of guilt for me because I have like 10 books on my nightstand. I feel a little <laughs> embarrassed that I've started so many books and not finished. But if there's just an element of, okay, I'll read this book because I feel interested in studying about the catechism of the child right now. And I'll study this book because I'm interested in reading about child psychology or whatever the different issues that I'm reading, you know, that I can start seriously 10 books and then mm-hmm. get bogged down and think I've failed because I didn't finish when really it's just working Yeah, your mind is hungry for different things at different times. And if you work with that, then you are going to read a lot more than if you fight against it. Some say we're crazy for raising our children this way. Others say we're brave. Some think it's a risk to educate them at home. We think it's a risk not to. We are the misfits, the renegades, the square pegs in round holes. But we're not alone. We have each other, and we're in this together. We are wild and free, a beautiful homeschool community. And we're coming together for an event like no other on February 15th and 16th, 2019, at the Dr. Pepper Arena in Frisco, Texas. Join us for two days of inspiration, encouragement, insight, and community. We may not all homeschool the same way, but we're in this together. So you homeschooled your own children for like 30, I mean, your oldest is 34. So how many years? Well, my oldest is 34. I would say that I actually had a child in my homeschool for 31 years. 30, so, wow. And what, what I've realized this year is that um, it's kind of been interesting for me because while sometimes I'll, you'll say to your child, remember when we read that book? And this child will say, well, I wasn't there for that book. And then you'll be so upset. While my children were each in our morning time for, say, 12 to maybe 18 years, I have been in morning time for 31 years. So it actually became my education. And I know more than my kids now. <laughs> so oh, that's amazing. I, I learned a lot that yeah. way. That, that was a joke. But um, I did learn a lot. Yeah, I was talking to a friend about how amazing it is that we, as we're homeschooling, get to educate ourselves about whatever we're interested in, really. It is a perfect way to repair the ruins. Um, most of us feel cheated by our education. No matter how we were educated, many of us feel like it could have been better. Um, homeschooling is the perfect way to repair that. Right, to get back our childhood mm-hmm. in a way. So tell me a little bit from the perspective of having homeschooled for that long, you know, 
so many moms are concerned about not doing enough or they overschedule or they maybe don't schedule enough. What do you feel like some of the most important things you can do with your children are? Well, I think the most, the most important thing is um, you can read aloud to your children. You can have some sort of very basic routine in your home so that you have a framework to do a lot of little things because it's not those big plans that you do that are going to last the course of 30 years, but it is the little things that you do consistently that will add up in your homes. Getting outside is very important, so much more important in our electronic technological world than we would ever realize. Being in contact with nature and knowing our environment, the trees and the flowers and and those sort of things, those are things that homeschoolers have a great advantage uh, of being able to uh, incorporate into their lives. So, and then also looking back over that many years of homeschooling, are there things that you think, well, we didn't really need to do that, or I certainly didn't need to worry about that or put that much mental energy into that idea or subject? Yeah, you know the thing, just in a broad way, because there's all kinds of things you try to do and that fail, many, many things, but in a broad way, I used to be super angry, you could say, maybe frustrated if you wanted to lighten it a little bit, that my children, I didn't have the money for my children to have a bunch of opportunities. And looking back now, I see that that really was an added benefit. So my kids had to learn to work hard. They didn't have these big opportunities that I was seeing other homeschoolers get. And yet God had another plan, and he used that in their lives to create very strong characters who were able to go out, get a job, provide for themselves. And in the end, you know, they have homes, they have families. And it's turned out to be a plus and not a minus. So I think contentment in what you are, I mean, it's very tempting in this Instagram world to feel inadequate. It's great to see what people are doing, but you don't have to let that drive you or make you feel inadequate. If you have a library and books and you have some pencils and some drawing paper, you have pretty much everything you need to educate your child. Yeah, that's interesting. I love what you said because there's so many more creative ideas out there now, and I've learned so much, and I'm thankful for the way it's enriched my homeschool. But the downside would be starting to feel like, oh, if I don't have that wooden puzzle or if I don't have that movable alphabet, then I'm obviously not a good homeschooler when the basics do suffice to give our children a good education. We really don't need as much as we think we do. If you have money and somebody hands you stuff, great. But if you don't, you're still okay. You can still educate your children very well. Yeah, well, it's such an honor to talk to you, Cindy. I loved Mirror Motherhood, and I'm excited about your next project. Are you working on a book right now? Yeah, I'm working on a book about self-education for mothers. I don't have a title yet, but um, I'm slaving away at it, so we'll see what happens. So excited. So what are, is there a few books that you would say, oh, moms, you should read these books? Oh, boy. Well, I really like, I really like Karen Glass's books. I like her Consider This, and I like her. If you are a Charlotte Mason homeschooler and you're confused about narration, her book Know and Tell is a very wonderful book. So that, that's a book I would say is not to be missed. Other than that, I'm not, I, my brain is blank, which yeah, well, is that's, not. That's, <laughs> that's really helpful because they're, they're actually aren't a lot of Charlotte Mason books out there. So thanks for sharing another title for our Wild and Free Mamas. So thank you so much for joining today, Cindy. It's been an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Cindy. 
Friends, not only do we have our next Wild and Free Conference coming up in Frisco, Texas on February 15th and 16th, but we also have a special offer for you on our monthly content bundles. Right now, there are two amazing bundles available to our monthly subscribers when you log in to the membership website right now. Last month's Belong Bundle and this month's Forest Bundle. Both are packed with fascinating articles, podcasts, tutorials, videos, and other helpful resources for this homeschooling journey, all written by homeschooling mamas just like you. If you subscribe to the bundles this week, we'll send you a free welcome kit that includes a print magazine, a letter from me, and a wild and free decal. And if you stay subscribed through November, you'll also get access to all of our audio and video from the Wild and Free Franklin Conference this past month. To learn more, go to bewildandfree.org slash bundles. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us again next week for the Wild and Free podcast.